All right. Everybody have a seat. Let me go grab my stuff. We got all discombobulated. We'll get back on again. Um, for those of you that are new, uh, welcome. Um, I don't know if this is a normal Sunday or not, um, but we are really glad that you're here, thankful that you're here. We'll be opening up God's word here in just a second, but um, one of the things that we've been trying to do over the last few weeks is to share testimonies from leaders, and so you've been able to hear testimonies from, let's see, I think it went Mike, John, Dan, Christian as, as the elders, and then I'm going to be the last elder that's going to be sharing my testimony today, and I think it's just so cool having Tony here as a former shepherd here at Cornerstone just to be able to share the goodness of God and what's happening in his life. So let me, let me start off this way, just in, in communicating my life. Um, I would say I really connected uh, just a second ago to what Lexi was talking about. Sometimes growing up in the church is confusing. Now let me, let me see if I can help you understand why. Um, my grandparents, both of my grandparents, I live in a legacy of people that followed and loved Jesus. I mean, they were phenomenal examples of what does it look like to follow the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, I had parents uh, that in many ways, great parents, um, who definitely professed Christ and uh, super thankful for them. They forced me to go to church. Anybody else get forced to go to church when you're a kid? Yeah, I see those hands. I'll pray for you. But in the middle of all of it, it was constantly, the way I would say it is revivalistic. We wanted people to get saved, which is a phenomenal thing. But my mom told me somewhere when I was a little kid that I accepted Jesus into my heart, right? That's how we express it as, as little kids. At seven, I was at this Sunday school thing at my grandparents, and I didn't know what was going on, but I knew little kids were going outside, and you know, if you want to accept Jesus into your heart, you can ask him, you know? And so I'm like, cool. So I went outside, and I didn't really ask Jesus into my heart. I just thought it was fascinating. And then when I was 15, my parents forced me to go to this camp, and there were these, I mean, not as beautiful as my wife, so let me just clarify that from the beginning, but these two blonde girls from Minnesota that were very gorgeous, and I thought, if they're following Jesus, then I'm going to follow them as they follow Christ, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, hey, ladies. And so, um, but in it, I, I, I never, I don't think, understood, I understood what I'd been saved from. We talked a lot about what sin was, and let me just tell you this, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you are currently, the Bible says, you're in sin. And to be in sin and to stand before a holy God one day is one of the greatest, I would think, greatest things that we would ever shudder at, because to stand before God as ones who have rejected him is to stand before a holy God and to deny his holiness and his goodness and his greatness. But I'll tell you what, the churches that I grew up in, they did preach Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful they talked about the reality that I, I in no way can ever merit, I can't in any way earn, I can't in any way want God to love me more. The only means of salvation that the Bible constantly talks about is through Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ alone. And I'm so thankful I grew up that way, but in the midst of all of it and kind of that generation, I never knew what it meant to be saved to something and for something. And I think after I'd kind of gone through the mantra of asking Jesus into my heart multiple times, whatever in the world that meant, by the way, is that I kind of looked around at the world, and when I say confused, I saw so many things, and I just saw brokenness. 
Even at a young age, I saw the world that I looked around in. I saw family members. I saw the crushing realities of what it meant to live in a, in a world that doesn't know God. And in all of it, I kind of then went into a place which was very much like Solomon, as if this life is just vain. And I totally rejected anything to do with Jesus Christ, told my parents that in some ways, and began to just walk my own life. It became even more confusing because, and again, I don't know how many of you went this route, but um, man, from an experience standpoint, uh, <clears throat> chemicals in my body, uh, seeking to have sex outside of marriage, just these, all these different realities, and at the end of it, I got more confused. Uh, I found out in, in, in all of this, as an athlete, you could get accolades, and so I found out I could run really fast. I could run, there was this thing called a track. As long as I just ran fast and kept turning left, they would cheer for me, and I thought, my gosh, that's it? This is awesome. But I learned that all through high school and even into college, and this idea that even at the end of that, I wasn't satisfied. I still felt super confused. I thought, man, okay, so there must be an explanation in this world, so I decided to get a degree in mathematics. Who decides to get a degree in mathematics? So if anybody wants to, I add extremely well. Mathematics didn't cut it, so I thought, gosh, maybe I should get a degree in chemistry and biochemistry, so I got another degree. But as I'm really honest with all of you, I just got more confused. I went and kind of like Solomon got everything that I could. Life was just kind of vanity of vanity. I, I tried to suck as much as I could out of life, and I remember finally on my 21st birthday standing in a bathroom in the mirage. And I don't even know what I put in my body that night, but I remember looking at the mirror in this cool moment that God allowed me to have. I went stone cold sober and thought to myself, is this all that life is about? Just that moment of going, I've tried even in my young life for everything, and yet I just feel so confused. I came back from that particular time and, and, and we went out one more time late one night. I came back, I had to go to the training room. This guy named Tide Rogers, I don't even know why God allowed me and him to get together. He's a passionate follower of Jesus. I came in smelling like a brewery the next morning after kind of having a party night and he was gonna work on me. And he said the very same thing that I said to myself looking in front of that mirror out in the mirage. I said to myself, is this all there is? And he looked at me and he goes, Todd, do you honestly think this is all there is to life? And he just began to share Jesus with me. That very night, I went out for a black student union dance, having no clue I was gonna encounter the most sexiest, hottest, beautiful woman on the planet, the woman that I would eventually marry. I don't know why she married me, but I know why I married her. And I remember walking up to her that night, you know, and I, we're, we're like all dancing away because I'm an amazing dancer who's won a dance competition like I've told you. And uh, at the end of the night, I was like, what are you doing tomorrow? She goes, oh, I'm going to church. Okay, so in my mind, I'm like, well, me too. So I, I looked back at her and I go, yeah, 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 me too. She goes, really, where are you going? And the only church I knew of in that town was this church called Grace Bible Church because I always used to run by it and kind of frequent it a little bit. And so I said, oh, Grace Bible Church. She goes, oh, that's where I go. <laughs> and then she goes, which of the two services you go to? I'm good, 50-50 shot here. <laughs> so I go, oh, I go to the second one. She goes, oh, me too. 
She goes, where do you sit on the floor in the balcony? Again, 50-50 shot here. Mathematics, think about it, huh? <laughs> what are the chances it's gonna keep lining up? And I said, oh, I sit in the balcony. She goes, Now, I was a small runner at that point, uh, not, not this fine-physiqued man that you see in front of yourself, but um, why'd you laugh? I don't get it. <laughs> but uh, my best friend, Dewey, some of you met him a few weeks ago when he came here. He's 6'11", 285. You can't, you can't sneak him into church, right? And finally, I looked at her and I said, you know, to be honest, I've showed up maybe once or twice. And in that moment, though, I met a woman who maybe who's struggling to follow Jesus, but God kept putting people in my life who weren't confused to help a guy that is, was confused. Through a long process, man, I met with so many different people that started to help me understand the greatest book of all time, God's word. I loved how they opened it and they finally showed me not just what I'm saved from, but they started to show me what I'm saved like two and four. Uh, they, they showed me that even though we're confused in this life, even what, what Lexi talked about, I am so glad that this book tells us maybe not everything that we want to know, but it tells us exactly what we need to know, 2 Peter 1, to live a life of, of godliness. And I couldn't get enough of this amazing book and anybody that I was around, I was just begging them to help me understand it more. I remember we, there was a sermon that I heard by a guy named Tony Evans. I don't know if you know who he is, but he preached out of Romans 12, one through two. And one of the things he said in there is this idea that God does not want you confused. He wants you to know his will. And he said these amazing statements and it's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. And even said that statement, God doesn't always tell us what we want to know, but he tells us exactly what we need to know. From that, again, I would have never imagined getting married to the woman that I got married to, but I got married to Lisa. I would have never got, started thinking about going into ministry. Like, seriously, you got to understand this. Ministry for me started three months after I quit smoking weed. This guy comes up to me. He's like, hey, do you want to uh, help me out with some high school students? And I looked at him and I go, you know, I was just getting baked a little while ago, right? I mean, are you sure you want me to be with these kids? He should have said no. <laughs> but man, I dove in and started to know Jesus. Not only did I get married, but my wife and I had tried for the longest time to have children. We were confused. Why couldn't we have kids? Now, remember what I said? God doesn't always tell us what we want to know. But he tells us what we need to know. And God opened my eyes out of scripture to this idea of adoption. We got involved with foster kiddos, man. We had so many kids come through our house that I hate babies now. <laughs> I do. People come up all the time. And they're like, oh, you want to hold my cute baby? No. <laughs> it's good for you, though. But in it, again, in my mind, I thought I wanted one thing. And God had these four little precious kids that came out of the foster care system that we love and we adore most days. <laughs> and we are praying like crazy that they will be passionate followers of Jesus. And so while I'm still, I'll be honest, kind of a confused man, if you're not confused, you did not just go through a pandemic and a, a political upheaval and social unrest. If you haven't gone through all this, you're lying if you don't say you're confused. And probably you felt it as a leader, as for me as a leader many times, going, God, what do you want us to do? Because they don't offer a class in seminary on how to walk through a, a global pandemic. But the one thing I knew is our God is faithful. 
And even when we're confused, aren't you so thankful? This is the big thing I've learned. God is never confused. And so if I were to kind of wrap up my life as I move forward, I'm still confused many times, but I'm so thankful God's word is true. And I know for sure there's coming a day in which King Jesus will return and he will reign for eternity. And finally, we will live in the place that's no longer broken that confuses us so much. But it will finally be the place in which God has designed us to live forever in new creation with him. That's my testimony. Let's dive into God's word. Now, one of the things that we've been seeking to do is to go through this idea of membership for the mission. Now, I'm not going to get very far this morning because it's already 11 o'clock. And uh, for most of you, you're already checking your phones, wondering what the score of the game is. Uh, so we'll just we'll keep cranking. Oh, by the way, I forgot to say, for all of you Dodger fans, we're confused. Like, why did the Astros get in? But it, still, we have someone to root for. And you don't have to root for the Giants. You can root for the Braves, right? Okay, so God's good, isn't he? Anyway, what we've been trying to talk about is membership, specifically membership for the mission. We've, we've kind of laid out different realities. We've tried to walk through it. But I would say this, one of the main things that we're seeking to accomplish, and I'm only going to get through one aspect of this today, is what does it now mean to not only be a leader, what is the responsibility of a leader? I talked about that last week, but today for just a few minutes, I'm gonna kind of lay out the idea and we'll finish it next week of what does it mean to have responsibilities as a member around Cornerstone? In other words, if you choose to be a member here at Cornerstone, what is it that we're looking at as far as responsibility? And everything in it revolves back to this idea that you would truly commit yourself based upon what we just talked, just the last slide I had up just a second ago, Matthew 28, to truly be a church that is being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. If there's one thing that I learned so powerfully over this last year is it's a reminder that the church can do a lot of things, but if we don't do the very thing that's at the forefront of the heart of Jesus, then we're not doing fully what we need to do. And so this idea of making disciples, if you choose to be a member here, our heart is, is that you will not only see it as a responsibility, but you will see it as a joy. That every aspect of what it means to be here, that you will, you will see Cornerstone, and I love how Tony put it, not just the gospel now being spoken about or cognitively wrestled through, but the gospel now being lived in such a way that, that Jesus Christ is put on display. Now, last week, what I tried to do was kind of lay out this idea of leaders. And so let me just kind of today, I'm going to walk through the first of these ideas of these relationships for the mission. Uh, today, we'll talk about leaders and members. And then we're going to talk about our relationship to God, our relationship to one another, and our relationship to the community next week. But let me, let me just do this. I'm going to kind of just lay out this first point, and then we'll, we'll come back to the rest of it next week. Now, the first kind of committed relationship that I, I want to lay out for us in order for us to be able to fulfill the, 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 the relationship or fill the ministry, the, the mission that Jesus has called us to, is this relationship between leaders and members. Now, last week I laid out, like I said, the responsibilities of leaders, but let me, let me just take you back to this text so that we can kind of see and begin to kind of think through what does this look like for us to fulfill the mission, this, the mission that's so critical? How are these relationships supposed to work out? Now, now, look at verse 17. It says in there, Hebrews 13, 17, that we are to obey our leaders 
and submit to them. And this is where we really went hard last week for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no benefit to you. Now this little verse right here, let me just be honest for us as Americans, when I say the word obey and submit, we go, oh no you don't. We don't like it. In fact, we've been fighting against it ever since we were little kids, and we're going to keep fighting against it, I would say this, until Jesus Christ returns, and we understand the beauty of what it means to live in the submission of the king. Now, that word obey, kind of if, you're, if you take notes and you put it together, it literally what it means is not so much like what we think of of parents telling their kids to obey, but it means to put their, your trust in this person, not blind trust. We're going to talk about that here in a second, but this just willingness to put your trust in this leader. Now, part of the reason that I've had us share our testimonies, part of the reason that we're trying to take our time to go through this is because you and your mind have to decide, again, not blind trust, but do you trust the leaders of Cornerstone enough to say that I will now submit to you because I want to be in this relationship of, as a member making disciples. I want to be a part of this mission. Because the next word that's in there is submit. It, it means to yield. And let me just say this, even when it's hard. You see this word in like Romans 13, submit to these governing authorities. And we go, uh-uh. First Peter, submit yourselves to the emperor. Well, there must be caveats on why I wouldn't do that, right? But actually this word submission carries with it to yield even when it's hard, to yield to the point that, and I understand this, we yield until the government over us, leaders over us, maybe you're a wife, a husband that is, it has a, a unique maybe authority over you. In that moment, we keep yielding until we're asked to, in any way, we're commanded to do what God forbids or forbid what God commands. We keep submitting even when it's hard. Now, I'm going to explain why here in just a, just a second. But in this, he's trying to now interplay this idea that the reason you're doing it, look down in there, he says, for they are keeping watch over your souls. They are people that are alert and watchful and sleepless is actually the word. They just can't sleep because they want the sheep cared for. It's an interplay and the way that I'm going to talk about it, it's a dance that's happening. It's a dance that we're trying to display something to the world in which we live, but what is it? Well, in our handbook, the way we talk about it is the New Testament delineates responsibilities of leaders to believers they serve, and those are the texts you can feel free to look up to make sure that this is what we're talking about, and the responsibilities of believers to those who lead him. But these passages express the required stewardship, we're going to talk about that, of leaders with the willingness of members to follow their leaders, all for the purpose, look at this, of fulfilling the mission of making disciples that Jesus entrusted to us. There's a, there's a reason behind why we're going to do this. Now, off of this, here's what I think's going on, and I want you to pay attention to me, and I'm just going to draw it to a close this way. So much of the Bible is, is laid out in this idea of how do we display Jesus Christ to the world. 
So in other words, submission, we're called to submit to God. James 4, we're called to submit to the authorities, to the emperor. Uh, Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, we're called to submit to one another. Ephesians 5, and we're called to submit to leaders. And by the way, leaders are first and foremost members. I am a member of this church. I'm not just a leader. I am first and foremost one of the sheep of God's amazing flock. Now with this, though, we want people to understand that this, this, this submission that we're talking about to church leadership is to be done with diligence to preserve this thing called unity and peace. In other words, the relationship between leaders and followers is to have within it this idea, the idea of unity and peace is that our church becomes a place in which people can truly, and here's the word I want to throw out there, flourish. They come into this structure and this organization not as leaders to be pressed down and to be, have their thumb put upon them, to be told what to do, or not of this fight back of submission, but this relationship in a powerful way is to now create an atmosphere that around this church, people can be who God is intending them to be. Now, for leaders, one of the things that they're asked to do is to shepherd the flock of God amongst them. They're to, you kind of see this in their exercise oversight, under compulsion. Uh, they're not do it for shameful gain. They're to not do it as domineering over those in their charge. They're to do it in such a way that I would say this, leaders are supposed to handle authority in a way that people look at how we handle authority and they say, that looks like Jesus. The way Todd and the way Mike and the way Christian and the way John and the way Dan handle authority when we watch them in the authority that's been handed to them because this authority is not mine. It belongs to the great shepherd. He's entrusted it to us as stewards and we're to carry out this leadership, this authority in a way that it makes much of King Jesus. What that means is that at the end of the day, what that looks like is, is it looks like these ones that will lay down their life for the sheep as Jesus talks about. It looks like this idea that the greatest amongst you will serve. It looks like this idea that the first will be last. In other words, I want people to come in here and not see the authority of the world in which we're trying to use power and strength to overcome anything, but instead we get this new vision of authority like we read about in the person of Jesus Christ when he was here on this earth, that anyone was, that was ever around him brought about the flourishing of others even at great cost to himself. I want you all to feel not at the end of the day that Todd is just showing up, even though, you know, I would look good in a robe telling you exactly what to do. I don't want to do that. I want to show up and bring the greatest book ever, God's word, and bring it to bear on this church and call you now with grace and humility and gentleness and boldness to follow the King of kings and the Lord of lords, not as one lording it over you, but as one who's a fellow sheep that's been entrusted by God with this authority so that King Jesus might be put on display through our leadership. That's what we're held to. But now watch this. In Philippians 2.5, you have this other side of how we put Jesus on display. If one side of it is that we put Jesus on display through authority, there's another side of it in which we're going to put Jesus on display through submission. So in other words, he talks about this in, in 2.5, that have this mind amongst yourselves, this, this idea of following the example, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, meaning that the way that we demonstrate the submission of Jesus is how we now work ourselves out within the church. Now think about this. Leaders are doing everything that they can to get to the bottom, to serve and to wash feet and to lift people up. And then everyone else's members is trying to to get underneath everybody else. Can you imagine a church of humility, a church in which we're considering the good of others before ourselves, a church in which we love people even at great cost to themselves? Let me tell you something. That is putting Jesus on display, and I think that is what the world is dying for. I think they're looking for an illustration of something so different than what this world is. Not submission of just laying ourselves like a mat on the floor, but submission that says, I will put myself in a poor position because I love you and I want you to flourish. I was sitting there talking with a a Muslim guy probably about two weeks ago, and we were talking about the differentiation between kind of Islam and Christianity, and I looked back at him and I just said this statement. I said, listen to me. One of the chief differences between you and me is that at the end of the day, I believe it is my job to die so that you might live. I will do whatever it takes for you to see the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I think this is the idea of what he's wrestling through as he's talking about it. I think when he's talking about this idea of Jesus, he's just wanting to see a church of little Jesus Christ that just whatever role they play, if they're given authority, they handle that authority like Jesus would. If they're given submission, they handle it like Jesus would. But at the end of the day, by entering into that relationship that provides flourishing for people to come into, King Jesus is put on display. Now let me clarify something right as we get ready to go. I want everyone in here that's not a leader to submit, but listen to me, first and foremost, it is not primarily to submit to me, but it is to submit to God and the authority of scripture. If I ever ask you to do anything that this book never calls you to do, you have complete permission to come up in grace and humility and choose to disagree with me. We don't operate by any other standard. I, I want you to be a group of people, Acts 17, 11, that were like the Bereans who were considered noble-minded because they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. I don't want you to believe me blindly. I want you, like I talked about a few weeks ago, I want you to be the ones that learn how to feed yourselves the word and hopefully I do come in and I take you into pastures where you can feed. But this is not a blind following because I'm gonna confess to you, I'm not perfect. And if you don't believe me, you can ask my wife. In fact, I have a litany of evidence that started at about four o'clock this morning that I am a man that struggles daily. But God's word will never, ever guide us wrong. And so just hear me as we get ready to go. The whole goal of this dance between those that are leaders and those that are members is at the end of the day, we put King Jesus on display. Is everybody with me on that? You got me? Okay, if you don't, go talk to Mike. (laughs) Then let me just finish this way. Why do we do it? Okay, let me come back to this. 
First Peter 2.9, because we need our community to see the excellencies of Jesus. This week, I took a, a walk about through, through Simi, and I hate to walk. I think walking's stupid. <laughs> I do it every day, but it's, I do it. As I was walking through the park over at the Duck Park, and I was kind of seeing different things that were going on, whether we wanted to acknowledge it or not, Simi Valley is broken. It's very broken. And yet I look around at this church right now in the how many ever people that are here right now. Do you realize there's enough power, there's enough presence of God's spirit in here. There is a church that is, has the Holy Spirit inside of them that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that can transform a community. We're not doing this because it's fun. We're not doing this because, you know, it's something that we get jollies out of. We're doing this because we believe the greatest thing to involve ourselves in is the mission of Jesus Christ. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna close us off today, but as we prepare ourselves for next week to come back, can I ask you to do something for me? can I ask you to start praying that God will open your eyes to the reality of Simi Valley in front of you? Just start asking. Ask him to open your eyes to the need of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the need for the church to be the church and display the greatness of Jesus into it. I believe if you start asking that, God will answer that prayer. And I believe he will fuel your heart to join Jesus in seeing the greatness of Jesus Christ being brought to bear in Simi, the West Valley, Moor Park, even if you live in the terrible streets of Thousand Oaks. <laughs> I believe God wants to open your eyes there too. So could I everybody stand up? God the Father when he spoke, everything to existence demonstrated. He is the true ruler and authority over all things. But not only is he the true ruler and authority, understand this, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the true ruler and authority of the entire universe is your father. Jesus Christ, it talks about that he spoke all things into existence. He created things, they were created by him and for him. King Jesus, who was crucified, who was able to cancel out the debt of sin that stood against humanity. That king, the Bible talks about in Romans 8, we talked about earlier, is your brother. And if you're somebody in here that knows the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that means you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And that means no matter what God asks us to do as a church, if God is for us as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, who can be against us? And so would you go with his authority out into this world and live for the King of kings and Lord of lords and all God's people said, amen. amen. Grace to all of you.